We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy Thursday, Pacer Nation. We are less than a week away from the NBA Draft. And this Sunday, I wanted to let you guys know ahead of time, myself, Mark Schindler, and Tony East will be back together to do an off-season preview for the Indiana Pacers. So that'll be out Monday morning, late Sunday night. We look forward to you guys joining us for that one. Um, but on today's episode, Mike Focci is joined by Keith Smith in the second segment to discuss the NBA restart and everything you need to know about that. And in the first segment of today's episode, myself and Mike Focci discuss some questions that we have for this Pacers team heading into the season. So hope you guys enjoy today's episode. Make sure give us a follow on twitter at setting the pace three and when you're done listening to this episode go give us a rating and a review over on itunes spotify stitcher wherever you're listening to this show at please let us know what you guys think the better the ratings the better the reviews the better we do so thank you so much for listening to the show i'm gonna get out of the way and we'll be right back with today's episode you're listening to setting the pace now, here's your hosts, Alex Golden and Michael J. Fauci. Pacer Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And joining me as he does every Tuesday, it's the one and only, the recently engaged Michael J. Fauci. Fauci, what's up, man? Alex, life is good, as you heard over there, obviously engaged. But Pacer basketball is... It's right around the corner, Alex. I mean, we're talking about basketball is starting up at a record pace. There's never been uh, a league startup this soon. And all of a sudden, next week, we're going into the NBA draft and free agency. What's your thoughts on that? Too soon or, hey, can't come soon enough? I mean, it, it seems too soon because of when everything was agreed upon. But I feel like I feel like once they made the agreement, they could have done the draft even sooner. But I will tell you, I can't remember the last time the NBA draft was on a Wednesday night. No, it's because of Thursday night football. We're in the middle of football season. So they're trying not to interfere with that because I kept thinking to myself, why are they doing the draft on a Wednesday? That's just bizarre. But anyway, I'm excited for it, Foch. And, you know, most of our listeners will probably be listening to this 
on um on Wednesday and Wednesday night possibly. So, you know, we just we know that it's a week away and it's uh, unbelievable. So, I'm excited. I, the Pacers unfortunately don't have a first round pick, so it makes it less interesting. But with all the trade stuff going on, all the rumors, no trades have been made since the trade deadline in February, I believe. So, I think these managers and these uh, GMs are just itching to make some trades, Fudge. It's going to be really interesting. Obviously, the cap is coming in, you know, lighter than uh, lower, whatever you want to put it. Either way, it's going to be less than what, you know, teams had expected initially. So it's going to be curious to see how that impacts teams moving forward. You might be wanting to see some teams kind of unload salary or picks, or, you know, you could see it the other way around. But either way, I'm very excited. You know, the, the NBA, it's something where it really, truly never stops there's always something going on. And usually, you know, we're used to having the NBA draft in June. So we're talking about now it's November. It, it feels like it's time. I mean, these, these college kids that are going into the draft, they haven't played, you know, NCAA ball. And at this point, just we're talking about about eight months. I mean, a little bit more than that, actually, about nine months. So it, it, these are some guys that we haven't seen. They got robbed of the tournament. It, it's time to move on. And after they get drafted, there's going to be a quick turnaround because, I mean, free agency starting right after that. And then pretty close after that is the league starting. I mean, yeah. we're, we're, we're about, you know, what, about five, six weeks away from the NBA season actually starting. So uh, it's going to be fun. Oh, Plus, yeah. Come on. The guys had most players – you know, had about five months off in between, you know, so yes, obviously, you know, if you were the Lakers or the Heat, you know, this is a very quick turnaround for you guys, but unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess the Pacers had a quick first round exit, so they should be fresh. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess for this situation, it does work out for them, but I mean, you talk about teams that didn't even make the bubble, they haven't played games since March 11th, so those teams have been off for nine months when when the first game comes around, so I mean, they're going to be ready to play. And, um, you know, unfortunately for the guys that were there late in the bubble, it, it does kind of suck because they don't get much of an offseason. But this is 2020. Nothing is normal. And they want to get things back on track for the 21-22 season. So I think you just bite the bullet. You play the 72 games and, and go forward. But what I will say, Fachi, for me, our original sports network fan, I've got YouTube TV. I had to cancel my subscription today because there's not going to be any Pacer games on, on YouTube TV or Hulu. And I'm just devastated. So I ended up having to go with AT&T TV um, just to be able to watch Pacer games on my TV without buying League Pass. So that's what I'm doing. I just changed providers. And uh, once again, it just regional sports networks are just jacking up their prices with all these streaming networks. And it's ridiculous. But NBA season, I can't miss any of it. We got 72 games to talk about. And we got a lot of questions to talk about with this Pacers team. We really do. I mean, 72 games, sure, we're getting robbed of, uh, you know, 10 games on the season, but don't worry, listeners, we will still be providing just as much content. So, going to be a lot to cover this year. Um, a new era of Pacer basketball, basically. The Nate Gorkin uh, era is upon us. And uh, as you mentioned, questions. Yes, there is a lot of questions for this Pacers team. Um, now, that doesn't mean that uh, we're going to have a negative you know, kind of tone on this episode, but it's more of uh, questions that need to be asked because we don't have the answers yet, but we still need to ask them. Uh, Alex, do you want to kick off with the first one or do you want me to take it? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I can start it off. I think that we should start off with the biggest question. And that is, I mean, we got a new coach. There's a lot of things that we're all just trying to figure out here, but 
I think the biggest question heading into this season is how does Oladipo look? Because personally for me, it's like, if this guy can be who he once was, I mean, then you've got to figure out a way to keep him because he, you're not going to get anything better than Victor, who he was in 2018 in free agency. Uh, maybe via trade, you might get something close, but I just don't see it. I think Victor Oladipo returning to his old self is the best player. The Pacers, the best asset the Pacers can get. So for me, when I'm watching this season, my first question is how does Oladipo look? What about, what are your thoughts on that Fudge? 100%. That, that is kind of the, the big question with this Pacers team, because, you know, as Vic, you know, goes, so does this Pacers team. I mean, he was looked at as the leader over the last two seasons, the all-star over there. I mean, the, the last few seasons last year was really just, uh, you know, he never really got fully started. There was a lot of stop and go, but Oladipo was looked at as the guy in Indiana. And now I, I fear Alex, that there is this, this cloud hanging over the Pacers of, you know, is Oladipo going to be there? Is he not? Is he going to return to the form that he was before? Is this going to be something that the Pacers are constantly asked about every single game is, Hey, you know, how, how's Vic feeling? Or do you, do you think, you know, are you going to sign an extension? Something, is that something that's going to hang over the heads of these players and serve as a distraction? Because it's not what you want going into a season where you're finally expected to get the core healthy and ready to go. Well, and the thing is, it's like we didn't really get a chance to see this core together. We've talked about that. And I think Nate McMillan was a little bit frustrated because he didn't really get a chance to get that core five together that the Pacers envisioned when they went out and made the TJ Warren move and the Malcolm Brogdon move. So I'm excited to see what he does, but at the same time, I'm a little nervous because I'm afraid, is he going to be trying to play for money? Is he going to be playing for a contract and not for the team? How is he going to, you know, figure out how to get really good and get back to who he once was while sacrificing to make sure that other guys, you know, are able to eat as well at the table and he can't be the only one just eating. He's got to share now, I will say this. I think the best version of Oladipo we saw was when Sabonis was healthy. The bubble was not uh, – I mean, the bubble was okay, but I would say more so the playoffs were not a good look for Oladipo. Missing Sabonis really did hurt Oladipo's uh, depth. But I'm hoping that with Nate Bjorkren coming in, we've got all these assistants that have been hired in. Um, I, I'm hoping that with this new style of offense, different ways to get these guys involved, Maybe we don't have to see Vic only be productive when he's got the ball in his hands. I'd love to see what he looks like playing off ball. I would love to see that also because obviously in the past, you know, Oladipo was, you know, more effective when he had the ball in his hand, but things have changed. You know, we're talking about my, one of my golden questions, you know, obviously it's almost like a play on word your last name just happens to be, but whose team is this now? It sounds cliche. It does. Maybe even, you know, a, a bit, a bit strange because TJ Warren really did come on so strong in the bubble and we're used to it being Oladipo's team. But as Oladipo enters that contract year, he could almost be a little bit forced to be greedy to show that, Hey, I am still that max player. I am still an all-star. And I'm wondering if that's going to hurt the Pacers or if it's a point where Vic can be healthy enough and he can be that same guy. Obviously the Pacers are going to be a better team. But it's just a matter of so much has changed since then. We've heard from various sources that, you know, Vic might have been rubbed a little bit wrong, that it no longer was his team anymore. But can the Pacers mesh together and just be a balanced, deep team? 
Or is Oladipo going to feel that weight on his shoulders to say, hey, I'm in the contract here. I got to prove I'm the guy. Yeah, I mean, I think the best thing for Vic is just to go out there, play, play team basketball. And I think if he plays team basketball and he gets back to who he once was, then he, and then he probably will be getting that contract that he wants. I mean, maybe not the max, but he'll get close to it. And with money being so tight right now, I just don't see the Pacers giving him a full max deal. This is a very serious injury. It's, it's not one that very many players have recovered from. Tony Parker is the only small sample size of it, and it was on the latter part of his career. So Vic, you know, once was a guy that was a super explosive above-the-rim guy. Uh, we have yet to see that since his return from his injury. I know it was relatively soon last year. So I'm hoping, you know, given almost, what is it, it'll be two years now, I think, coming into 2021. So that's yeah, – January. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, you think about it, two years removed from that injury – I'm hoping to see a little bit more bounce, maybe a little bit more consistency in his three-point shot, and, you know, maybe just a little bit better with his ball handle. We, we know he needs to work on that after watching the bubble, and it just, just little things. I mean, just getting back to the basic fundamentals, if Vic can do that, I think he'll be completely fine. Even if he isn't here long-term, I think for his mental sake, he'll be fine, and there'll be teams that will uh, gauge in conversations with him to join their team next year in the offseason. Obviously, we want to keep him, but I'm just saying, like, when it comes down to it, if he can just be a team player, play within the system, he will benefit the most from that. And and if he tries to do too much, I think that'll be very noticeable, and it will probably cause some chemistry issues with that team. Completely agree in terms of if you're trying to force too much, I do think it's going to cause some chemistry issues. And I don't want this to be sort of a cloud hanging over the the players' heads as to, like, you know, what if Vic's completely ineffective to the point where – he is trying to be the guy, and then you have someone like T.J. Warren who's just so efficient. You have Sabonis who's just so efficient. But I think it will work itself out. I think Vic has all the motivating factors that he possibly needs going into this season with people doubting him, him entering a contract year, you know, wanting to win, the team being healthy now. Everything adds up to just say, hey, I, we know he's putting in the work. It's just going out and showing it. So right, right. moving over, my next question is we saw this Pacers team rank 27th in three-pointers attempted and made, as well as last in attempts per game, and uh, second to last in three-pointers made per game. Now, the Raptors ranked top five in both of those categories. While you can't give all the the credit to Nate Bjorkman, you have to think, what kind of Pacers team are we going to see from three-point land? Alex, do you think the new coaching staff is enough to bring us into a modern offense right now where the Pacers – can they can, – is it reasonable to rise from bottom five, if not last in threes, to maybe can even be top 15? I mean, I think that that's the goal. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what Bjorkman's going to want to do, but I do think that they're going to shoot more threes. He's very analytical-driven, which I'm fine with. I mean, if they're going to – if the analytics work – then I, then I say take them, but knowing when to use analytics is the big thing. It's not just, oh, well, analytics say take this three over going to the hoop. No, I think you got to be smart with your analytical decisions. But I look at Toronto the last couple of years, and they've been a very well-coached team, very, very balanced. I don't feel like they force a bunch of threes when I watch them play, but they do move the ball to get good, look, good looks from three. And I think the Pacers have guys that can knock down the three. I mean, Oladipo is probably better at – you know, the pull-up three, not necessarily catch-and-shoot kind of guy, but Brogdon's a great catch-and-shoot player. McDermott's great off screens. We saw him, you know, have one of his better seasons in the entire NBA last year. Turner is another great catch-and-shoot guy. 
TJ Warren, I, I think his pull-up three's gotten better. His catch-and-shoot three, you know, off the dribble, or, I mean, off the pass, excuse me, ha- has not been the best. But off the dribble, it looked really good in the bubble. What will Sabonis do? Is he going to be a guy that comes out like Marcus Gasol did with uh, Toronto and knock down a couple threes a game or at least take a couple? I mean, I think that's something you might see a wrinkle in uh, the offense. So, really, with Justin Holiday hopefully coming back, you got Aaron Holiday, a streaky shooter, there's, there's plenty of guys that can knock the three ball down. I anticipate the Pacers being much more analytically driven with their offense, how they attack it. And I think we're going to see less of the, you know, pound, 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 dribble handoff stuff, pick and roll stuff. I think you're going to see a, a lot of variations of different things, but the threes should, should get a major uptick in my opinion. I'm very excited to see it. You know, when you talked about Sabonis being able to add that to his game, I think it's a must at this point, I think he's got to be able to add it. I feel like that's something where he's had enough time for, you know, we never even got to see him come back uh, from, from the, the original break in March. So who knows what he had been working on in his game over that five month span. And then now at this point, you know, Sabonis is one of those players where we haven't seen play since, since March. So I hope that he's been working on, on the, the, you know, extending his jumper, because I think that there's a lot of times we saw him even around that free throw line area where it wasn't as consistent as you hoped. And I, I think that that's something that if he adds that to his game, I mean, he was already an all-star last year. So yeah. it, it really feels like the sky's the limit for him when he's continuously gotten better each and every year. But at this point, and I'll even compromise, if we could even be top 20 in the league and three-pointers made or attempted, I'll feel better about this team because the scoring needs to come from somewhere and we have the capable players. We have them. I mean, this yeah. is a this is a good team. It's just a matter of being able to to run a different offense. So uh, I'm definitely excited to uh, to see what's going to happen from three point land. What's uh, what's one of your questions? Moving yeah, forward? well, just just to say one more thing on that real quick too. It's because, like, I think Malcolm Brogdon. We saw a little bit of trouble with him not getting more looks. You know, off the ball. Um, always everything felt like it was you know a catch and shoot. Like we saw it a lot in the playoffs too. He would dribble the ball back to like the half court and then run up and then shoot a pull up three. It's to me, I think if you can get more action involved, a guy like Brogdon and a guy like Turner are really going to flourish just being able to be put in different spots like that. But I I think a a question that I have is defensively, how do we think, of course, we're going to talk about the two big men, but how do we envision this team playing defensively? Because we know, that Nick Nurse in Toronto, they ran zone. They did a bunch of different things on defense. They did the boxing one against the Warriors in the finals two years ago. So I'm curious to see how Nate Bjorkren uses this uh, uses this team to play defense and what different uh, schemes he might throw out there because Pacers moved on from Dan Burke. Clearly they want to go in a different direction from, you know, fight through everything. The Pacers never switched. You know, it's just I feel like there's going to be a lot of different variations and how much more is that going to hurt them um, playing this different style or is it going to help them? Short term, it, it could hurt because the Pacers have been such a good defensive team for so long. It just I mean, a co- this is a team that's a couple of years uh, removed from I believe they were, you know, the number one defensive unit about two years ago or maybe it was three years ago at this point. But, you know, it kind of feels like for so long that's been their M.O being a real good defensive team. And I, I don't think that they're going to become, you know, by any means a bad defensive team or anything, but I think it could take a little bit of a hit in year one where I do think that the offense is ready to take a step forward in year one under Nate Bjorken. So mm. I, I'm very curious there when you mentioned the Dan Burke, you know, exit, 
that that's something where Burke had been there for so long and, and you just got to feel like he's almost ingrained into that you know anytime you feel like you talk about Pacers defense I feel like Dan Burke was just a name that just immediately would come up and you know that's definitely going to be a loss but Toronto they've been a very good defensive unit the last few years well so, uh, well I was going to say this like with Dan Burke we saw a guy like T.J. Warren not known for playing defense comes in really good wing defender throughout the the season he really started to improve and there was one point they even had T.J. Warren guarding Damian Lillard I mean out of all people on our team he was the one guarding Dame so same with Bojan Bogdanovic when he came here everybody thought oh he's a defensive liability he can only shoot threes you know good offensive player can score the ball but he is a you know a screen door when it comes to playing defense and and he even improved so I think my biggest concern we know that Miles is a terrific rim protector we know that a lot of the, the defense funneled those those drivers into Miles and then Sabonis cleaned up on the glass I mean that's just kind of how it was it was a it was a, it was a duo thing right there they kind of worked in tandem there and then of course I think one thing you're going to see is like how is Sabonis going to respond to being switched on to smaller guys is he going to get beat again left and right how how will that impact him I mean I think defensively he's going to be have to he's going to have to be held more accountable than he was last year without Um, a doubt and I think Turner could be a little bit better on guys on the perimeter I mean he's he's good you know at protecting the rim but I think on defense a little bit slow on his first step Oladipo, Brogdon, T.J. Warren, I mean, I think they can hold their own, but they've got to be a little bit more accountable. They can't rely on Turner to bail them out all the time. Mm-hmm. So especially if we listen to what Bjorkren said, where he said that he might be staggering some of Turner and Sabonis' minutes, which, which could almost give them less time on the court overall. So I'm not really sure. But what I will say is the Pacers have got to become better perimeter defenders. And I think throwing in some zones and some different schemes and perfecting those could really throw some wrinkles against some of the teams they play because if you if you consistently do the same thing like the Pacers did with McMillan not a knock on McMillan but they consistently ran the same defense and consistently ran the same offense there was no variation teams knew what to expect I think Bjorkman's going to change that and and cause things to you know be a little bit unpredictable Uh, and that's sometimes unpredictability is just (laughs) You can't plan for it. It goes without saying. It sounds like a dumb statement to even make, but that's that's the whole thing. I mean, something like this, when you're talking about the whole boxing one in the NBA finals, it's like, it was brilliant. It really was. And, and it's at the point where the Pacers, they need a little bit of change. You know, going back to the Miles Turner statement, look, everybody knows elite rim protector. They know that. But when everyone was petitioning for, you know, defensive player of the year a few years ago, you saw that, you know, defending the rim and, and blocks only went so far when it came to overall you know, de- de- being the best defensive player in the league. And I think that's where he came a little bit short. That I think if he can add that to his game, I think that it- it's going to make a huge difference being able to guard the perimeter a bit better. So um, especially when he's out there a lot more on offense, but I know it's completely different. But at the same point, I, I think that that defensively, there's going to be a shakeup this year. It is. And I think it's going to take time to get used to. I, I don't think that we're going to see this Pacers team – come out as you know maybe as good of a defensive unit as they had been in the past but I think that everyone's going to buy in and I think that it'll take time and it will pay off show me some full court press I would love to see some different you know even if it's a three-fourths uh you know court press I mean show me something different I mean this Pacers defense could be really good but sometimes it was just like so like predictable and I don't know how many times we've seen it in the last how many years now three shooters just get open on the Pacers it's Mm -hmm. so annoying it's like 
uh, Duncan Robinson, Tyler oh Hero, Kyle Corver when he was on the Cavs. I mean, you put Vic on him, and, and Vic takes us off for one second, and Corver, bang, dagger. The guy's like 38 years old, knocking threes in our face. And, you know, I, I just feel like the Pacers have been so old school that getting a new voice, being a little bit different schematically on defense, that's going to be huge for the overall success of this team. I think it's going to rejuvenate some of the players. I just think that it just feels like we talked about it before. Uh, Bjorkren's ability to relate to younger players, I just think it is just, I think it's going to pay off big time in terms of guys going that next mile, just giving a little bit more, that extra five to 10% on defense. Um, so I'm very excited for that. One of the things that I wanted to know is how are the Pacers going to address the issue of being dead last in the NBA in free throw attempts. They, they were literally a full free throw behind the lowly Cleveland Cavaliers last year in terms of free throw attempts per game. Where is this going to come from? Is it going to become, is it going to come from maybe, you know, Vic being able to make more plays with the ball? And I know last year, you know, it came down to him being a bit hesitant, taking more threes. It feel like we lacked that a little bit, but whatever it is, whatever it's going to come from, you cannot be a playoff team and rank dead last in free throw attempts per game. It's going to bite you in the butt in the end. And I feel like many times we saw the Pacers get crushed on the glass and get crushed on free throws. Do you remember last year? I don't know how many times I said it, but I'm just going to give you a, let you guess. How many times do you think I said, man, I want Brogdon to play a little bit like Mal, uh, like uh, Kyle Lowry and how he gets to the free throw line? Probably quite a few. Right. And, and I think that that can be um, an example of what Toronto did with their guards. I mean, Kyle Lowry's not the biggest guy. I mean, he's pretty wide. He's got a, He's got some thickness on him, and he knows yes. how to use his body. Yes. But I think that that's something that Nick Nurse and Bjorkman and their whole entire staff, they realized, hey, we got to get our guys to the line. Malcolm Brogdon was a 90% free throw shooter two years ago. We got to get him to the free throw line more. I can't be having him staying at, out of the three-point line, taking a contested three when the shot clock's running down. I got to do it. constant action. If I've got so much action going on, number one, you're going to get backdoor looks which could result in fouls. I mean, I just felt like the Pacers never got to the rim. Sabonis was the only guy that put any pressure on most defenses when it came to getting to the rim. That's it. You got to find more guys that can do that. And I feel like, you know, I don't want to be like Miami where I'm kicking my legs out every time I shoot a three, looking for three free throws every single time I don't make the three-point shot or I get, you know, I go up in the air for a shot. But it's like, I want to get to the basket. And I think Bjorkman actually touched on that a little bit in, in his introductory uh, press conference, he said, I, I think we got to attack the rim more. He said he likes that, likes that Sabonis attacks the rim, but I think Brogdon, Oladipo, even Turner. I mean, we have good free throw shooters. They got to get to the line. Absolutely have to. I mean, last year it just felt like there was – I mean, everybody, you know, remembers the game against the Charlotte Hornets where we lost. I think it was about 42 free throws to maybe eight, maybe six. I mean, it was ridiculous. The difference was so massive in that game that it, it was almost comical. Like you felt like the refs were at it, you know, were against us. But at the same point, it was no, the Pacers just were not attacking the rim enough. Mm. They weren't. I mean, it gets to the point where, you know, Brogdon averaged three and a half free throws per game last year. Oladipo, 3.1. You give him a pass because he wasn't healthy. But you can't have some of your, your best ball handlers, you know, your best, you know, playmakers average three free throws per game. It, it's just. It's not going to happen. I mean, Miles Turner, you would have loved to get Miles Turner to the line more, but 
when you're that far out from, from three point, when you're by the three point line, I mean, how is that even possible to get him to the line that much? So it, it's just a shame. I mean, he was averaging 2.7 free throws per game. So it, it's just not enough. You need to add that to your game. The little tweaking, if you can add more three pointers to your game, a little bit more free throws, you're talking about shooting up the ranks in points per game. That is the difference between continuously being like the fifth seed pretty much every year. I know last year was, was the difference in the year where it didn't matter, where you got the fourth seed and all of a sudden, you know, there's no home court. It's, you're being locked into there because the Pacers just at times just didn't score enough. Yeah, and I guess my last question here, Fachi, because I know we have to get off here so we can get to your segment with Keith Smith in the next uh, part of the episode, but I think my last thing is, how much pressure do you feel like is on Nate Bjorkman in his first year? Because I feel like, you know, there's high expectations from Pacer fans to to get out of the first round. Uh, if we wanted to stay in the first round to be a first-round exit, we could have kept McMillan and saved the Pacers a bunch of money. But I will say this, how much pressure do you think's on him? And do you think that overall, even if we don't get out of the first round, it was more so getting a new voice in there? I think it was getting a new voice in there. I really do. Yeah. I think that obviously this team can't get swept again. Just it just it just can't. But if they happen to, I think it would it would be it wouldn't be looked at on Bjorkman. I think it would be looked at as something's gotta change with this team. I think getting getting a new voice in there, I think McMillan what he was saying, I think, was starting to fall on some deaf ears. I think he kind of lost the locker room a little bit. The style of offense was completely outdated. Um, I just think that you needed change. You're getting someone right now where there is glowing reviews about Bjorken. I mean, really, I, I feel like the Pacers, without even, ha- without even having him coached a game yet for the Pacers, I think they hit a home run here in, in terms of getting a young, new coach where he's coming from his, his background. It just feels like with, with Nick Nurse, I mean, you're getting a guy who I feel like was as close to Nick Nurse as possible. And I don't think this is one of those where when you're getting a, you know, an assistant, you know, a coordinator from the Patriots and you're, you know, 10 guys down the line from Belichick and this is his like eighth offensive, you know, eighth defensive coordinator and the guy flames out. Like, no, no, this is Nick Nurse's guy for the, about the last like 25 years. So I feel like he's got all the intangibles right now to the point where I think he's going to put a lot of pressure on himself, mm-hmm. but I don't think that this is a championship roster to the point where if he can't get it done, we got to get him out of there and get someone new. I think it's like, no, no, no. Let's see what this team has together. Now that they're healthy. We got a new coach in there. You got to think that they're going to be switching up some things, playing a more modern style. I think that this Pacers team should expect to get out of the first round. They, they, they fully should. And, you know, I, I think that at minimum, they will be more competitive in the playoffs at the very bare minimum. Yeah, I think two things will really tell if they get knocked out in the first round. Number one, this roster is just not talented enough. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the biggest thing. I think we have to look in the mirror at this roster, even though we like a lot of these guys and we want this team to work long term. If, if they get knocked out of the first round again, maybe it's not a coaching problem. And I do think that McMillan could have been a lot better. And I'm not trying to defend him at all, but I will say this. I don't think even if, you know, McMillan, uh, I, I think that if Bjorken was here last year, I don't think this team would have got out of the first round regardless. Um, not given the injuries that they faced. Right. I mean, I mean, even if, even if they had Domas, it would have been a six-game, seven-game series possibly. But I still think I probably would have given the advantage to the Heat just because of how much they dominate us. They dominated the Pacers in those first four games. I mean, 
we had one quarter where we like two quarters where we looked great against them. The, the first quarter of game one and then the third quarter of game three. So mm-hmm. it's like this Pacers team, they've got some, they've got some pieces. They've got some nice, you know, bench players too. They could really grow in a different environment. So I'm hoping to see that. I don't think there's a lot of pressure, but I do think that this Pacers team at best to me is probably going to be a four seed at best, but I'm really stuck on them being six or seven, which, if, which means if they do get out of the first round that they, they pulled an upset. I just don't think this team right now as currently constructed is good enough to compete with the top four or five teams in the Eastern conference. No, I don't. I think this team, if healthy, can get out of the first round, and I, I think that that's probably about it, unless all of a sudden, you know, you're talking about each player taking a step forward and Vic being the Vic of old. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we don't know that. There's a question mark there. So uh, I'm, I'm just excited for change. I'm excited to finally see this team play together longer than I believe it was, what, about 80 minutes total last year, I, I yeah. think. You know, whatever it was, it, it wasn't more than that. Um, but my last question before we wrap this segment up, we've seen the Raptors develop some, some young players lately, such as, you know, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, Terrence Davis. The Pacers are bringing in a whole new coaching staff, I think, other than Bill Bainham. At this point, can the Pacers be effective as it relates to developing Goga, the last remains of hope of TJ Leaf, which I'm already going to say no. And then can you continuously develop Aaron Holiday? Because in those three guys right there, if you can't continuously develop them, then the Pacers are going to be running out of options soon because Aaron Holiday, I like what he's got. I think he took a big step forward. But Goga, I mean, Goga is that, that question mark right there because the Pacers are only going to be able to move on from one of those bigs if Goga can develop. And I think that the Raptors did a good job of developing young talent. Can Nate Bjorkman and this staff develop Goga? And, and other young guys, because without a, a top 50 pick this year, this could be kind of all just what we're looking at. Well, I think that we can say that that's the goal. And I think one thing you can look at is the report from Jay Michael that Bill Bano is working with Domas Sabonis and Aaron Holiday in Los Angeles. Now, are they working out together? That's not for sure. But what I will say is if they are, that is a really positive sign because look at the growth that Domas had from two years ago to last year. I mean, made an all-star, 18 points, 13 rebounds, five assists. We know his numbers, right, was, you know, incredibly efficient. And I think that he took that jump because of a bigger opportunity. I think Bjorkman is going to give Aaron Holiday a bigger opportunity. I think that Aaron Holiday is at that age where, you know, even though he was only drafted two years ago, he's older. But mm-hmm. I think playing with Sabonis in the offseason, getting to be more familiar with Bill Baino, getting more one-on-one time, he's going to grow. I think Goga Batadze is in a weird spot still because with Turner still on this roster, Goga, I mean, how many minutes is he going to get? I think he's going to get more minutes by a long shot and have a more defined role than he did with Nate McMillan under Nate Bjorkman. I think that the goal is to get him minutes, but the problem is he's never really had a a normal offseason because of all the visa stuff. He didn't get to play in summer league. Mm -hmm. He didn't get to play a ton in the G League. When he did, he was really dominant. I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised because we've seen this with what they did in Toronto. Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, Terrence Davis, like you mentioned, all those guys, before they came up to Toronto, they spent months in the G League. And so if there's not a lot of playing time for them, I think they might just say, here's what we want you to work on. We're going to talk with our G League coaching staff, get you working on these kind of things. I think there's hope for a guy like Edmund Sumner still uh, to crack the rotation next year. 
they, they are probably going to bring TJ McConnell back, but I still think that you'll see something where Sumner and Aaron Holiday play a little bit more together. Jeremy Lamb still recovering from his injury. Unsure of what's going to happen with Justin Holiday. We know McDermott will be back. So, yeah, I mean, TJ Leaf, I mean, I know you mentioned him, and I know it's kind of a slap in the face. Everybody likes to have fun with it, but it can't get any worse. So I definitely I, cannot. Definitely I, I've, cannot. I mean, I think Bjorken can, can probably figure out a way to get him put in different spots that may, make him a little bit more efficient, more impactful. Not saying that he's going to be great, but I feel like he could be a little bit better than what he was with Nate McMillan. So, yeah, I do expect there to be more development. I think that's part of the reason they brought Bjorken in. And I think that if you look at some of the coaches that they're hiring, um, I just feel like it makes a lot of sense that they want to grow this young talent. No draft pick this year in the first round. They got one at 54 in the second round. I think that that player could be somebody that could be a replacement for one of these guys in the next couple of years. Might not get a lot of minutes right now, but if they like somebody there, he can play a lot in the G League, grow his game like a Terrence Davis. I'm really excited about uh, Bjorkman and his player development. I really am because I think that's going to be the key to to the Pacers, you know, keeping this going because, hey, you know, like we talked about, there's questions with Vic, you know, right over there. There's questions on Jeremy Lamb's health, you know, to see if maybe if his time as a Pacer ever really works out, who knows, but Goga right over there. I mean, they, they, they felt so high about him, you know, when they drafted him, it was a pick that came out of nowhere. I, you know, it's all, it was a rough rookie year, but at the same point, the man did not play anywhere near enough for us to truly pass judgment on him. So I'm very excited to see what he does in year two. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up segment one. On segment two today, um, it's just going to be Fachi with Keith Smith from Yahoo Sports. We know Keith does a fantastic job covering the league. Most of you guys follow him on Twitter. So we hope you guys enjoy what Keith has to say to Fachi about the upcoming season. And Fachi, it looks like next week, we should have a pretty special guest on as well as we do a nice little draft preview next Tuesday. Yeah, you know, we should have uh, the one and only Jeremiah Johnson coming on the show, so stay tuned for that. Always great chatting with Jeremiah. Um, I'm going to be very excited for that one, so uh, you know, don't want to miss that. Yeah, and so, guys, we thank you so much for listening, and keep on the line. Don't, don't put your phones down yet. Don't take your headphones out because we're going to be right back. Interview Keith Smith, Mike Focci. Sit tight. Ladies and gentlemen of Setting the Pace, we are joined today by friend of the show, Keith Smith of Yahoo Sports. Keith, what's going on? Hey, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Of course. Keith, I think this is about your third or fourth time on Setting the Pace, so always appreciate it. Last time we had you on, you broke down everything to expect for uh, the bubble, um, which worked out, I'd say, flawlessly for the NBA. What do you think? Yeah, I think if not flawlessly, about as close as I think you could possibly get. They uh, they they did really well. You know, no no one got sick. They completed the season, and that those were kind of the two goals. So yeah, I guess yeah we could say flawlessly that works, and you know, recouped a lot of money and, and got uh, everything moving so that they can get this next season started. I think earlier than anybody expected, but yeah, they they you know did did well down there at Walt Disney World. Definitely flawlessly compared to the MLB and NFL where, you know, games had to be canceled or or moved around. Players were in and out of lineups. The NBA, phenomenal that they did not have a case, uh, a positive case, after they started play. 
So, uh, gotta be happy about that. But in more recent news, the NBA and the Players Union, they reached an agreement in principle to start the NBA season for December 22nd. Um, things are starting up real soon. I mean, you got free agency is going to be- begin on November 20th, and that's two days after the NBA draft on the 18th. Now, typically, 18th this month, that is. Uh, typically, you know, we're used to seeing the draft in about, you know, June, right around there, late June. Uh, do you think this this restart is too soon, or is this basically as good as it gets in terms of uh, it had to be now? Um, yeah, it, you know, as basketball fans, it's great, right? Because because we want the league back, and in the off season's always a lot of fun. Even this one without a ton of star free agents and uh, coming kind of fast and furious is going to be a lot of fun. But but the challenge I think was this season starting basically now as far as the off season then we're almost right into training camps and then the season's gonna tip off in basically a month and a half that had to happen in order to really conserve and fully save the 2021-22 season uh so not this coming season but the one after um the nba learned in the bubble they do not want to be playing games in the summertime it just did not work well for them the players never wanted that in the first place so what the goal here was get this season going it's going to be a compressed schedule it's going to be a a reduced number of games but we're going to get back on a regular calendar and then we can get all the way back into our full regular rhythm as soon as next season uh starts and and get that and that's what the importance was of pushing this forward and then you know there was a lot of money at stake for you know players teams everybody involved so it's extremely important that they uh got this thing going and that's you know they in the end it's going to be tricky, but this was the best decision for all parties involved. Definitely. Getting back on, on a routine, you know, yearly schedule is just so important because, like you mentioned, just it was so weird having basketball in the summer. Then it started to interfere with what's going on in the NFL. And I know there's various things that go into ratings, but ratings were down because I think there were so many different options going on. And maybe maybe some fans had a little bit of fatigue because the NBA season fully stretched throughout basically the full calendar year. But you mentioned the financial impact. Keith, they said it could have been as big as a $500 million impact if the NBA did not have games on Christmas. I mean, is that really you know as accurate as it could be? Because that is a huge number and a number that the NBA could not afford to pass up. Yeah, it was going to be somewhere between five hundred million and a billion dollars um, if they if they didn't have those those games there. So you know, here's in the end here what is um, here's what what it all kind of comes down to is if they did not play games on Christmas, there was going to be a um, a push and a challenge from the television partners because ABC, ESPN, TNT. Those Christmas Day games are so huge. That that's you, you, they kind of go hand in hand now, right? You 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 think of the NBA in, in Christmas, and and that's what you do. You you open gifts, and then you sit down and ignore the family and watch basketball the rest of the afternoon, uh, and then deep into the evening. Now that they play all night long, so what what they needed to do was they really wanted to hit those. The other piece was if they had waited until till Martin Luther King Day, what they were gonna do there was they were going to end up in a position where they were only going to play a 60 game season so that was another 12 games that would have been chopped off the um 
the the list and that that was going to make it really a position where this just isn't isn't tenable for anybody no nobody wanted that they were going to have to go a little later into the year to get that 60 game season in and that that is um you know that's ultimately in the end that driver of all that money that pushed a lot of players because when we think about the fact that this is tough on the heat and in the lakers and the celtics and the nuggets and you know guys like lebron james anthony davis all those high-end players they're fine if they took a you know a little bit of a pay cut to play a shorter season that started later but there's a whole lot more players who are not okay with giving up that kind of money and their share of it so that's in the end why we're pushing this thing forward yeah, I mean, it, it it had to be done. Obviously, there are certain players that you mentioned, like LeBron, Anthony Davis. It does impact them more. But there's also a lot of players in the league that haven't played, you know, NBA games since March, yeah. or players yep. that got bounced early in the playoffs, you know, or, or the teams that were in the the bubble but didn't even go, didn't make the playoffs, like the Phoenix Suns and stuff. So I think there's going to be plenty of, of teams that are looking forward to the restart. Um, obviously, there was an impact on the salary cap. The salary cap is going to stay at, I believe, the, the same exact number from last year. Uh, it's yep. down from what it was projected to be. Uh, how do you think that's going to have an impact on what's already not a great free agent class? I mean, you have a lot of players that are likely going to pick up their player options because there's less money out there, only a handful of teams with significant cap. But do you think that with the condensed time for free agency, we might see you know guys sign kind of right away and then it kind of been like, hey, not a lot of teams are – spending money or maybe do you think teams try and unload contracts to kind of cut some costs uh i'm gonna go with all of the above <laughs> it's um you know it, we're gonna see all sorts of different stuff and you're right the, the cap is gonna be at the same number the tax is gonna be at the same number there are no um you know differences there so so i think what you're looking at here as you come come down to it is you're going to have teams that are looking to do a lot of different things. You've got some uh, that, you know, your, your pacers are really kind of right up against the luxury tax, depending on what they do with resigning some guys. And of course, if they make trades and those kind of things, but what, what you're really getting into um, with, with a lot of these teams is some teams are very cognizant and need to cut that tax bill down. Some teams are in a position where they're going to have cap space and can take money on. You're going to have some free agents who are going to look around and say, man, there's just not that $15 million a year deal out there for me with a good team. So I will take the mid-level exception or I'll take part of the mid-level exception and those kind of things. So you're definitely going to see, um, you know, player movement. There are not superstars. This is not last off season when you had, you know, Kawhi Leonard and Anthony Davis and Paul George and Russell Westbrook. And it felt like half the league moved teams. And it felt like every couple of days back in July, we were getting, you know, a, a major shocker of a move happening. This is a different off season, but there are a lot of good players. I kind of um, say this, free agent class is akin to this draft class where it's not full of stars, but there's good depth throughout in the thing in free agency where you're going to get just like in the draft, you're going to get good players uh, with those later picks who can help you. You're going to get good players on bargain deals. They may only be one year deals, but if you're a team that's a contender and looking for a guy to push over the top, you may be able to get that guy this off season. Yeah, it's definitely going to be very interesting to see what happens with that. I mean, we're already starting to see, 
you know, some teams like the Atlanta Hawks, for instance, are a team that has a lot of cap room. They're looking to potentially acquire Drew Holiday. That's been a rumor right now. You have the Knicks that are always, they have their name floating around there in terms of they have a lot of money to spend. But not many other teams really have, um, you know, a surplus of money to spend. But one team that, you know, kind of our teams have been a little bit uh, linked together in terms of what do you think the Celtics are going to do with Gordon Hayward? It's expected he's probably going to pick up his player option, but do you think that Hayward could be on the move this offseason as Indiana has been a team that he's been linked for, linked to forever, given, obviously, his ties to you know the state of Indiana? Yeah, I wrote in-depth on Gordon Hayward about um, what all the options are for Celtics blog. So if anyone's really interested in a ton of detail on it, you can go there and check check that out as part of my um, big off-season preview for the Celtics. I, I have a hard time seeing him opting out. It's $34.2 million that he's going to have. So I don't know that he's going to give that up. If he does, I think he opts out because he's re-signing a longer-term deal with the Celtics for less money in that first year but more guaranteed money overall i don't think he's going to opt out to go to any other team because i just don't think it makes sense now if he opts in he certainly becomes a trade target that 34 million goes a long way towards getting you some good players the pacers stuff i i I feel like that's a lot of um uh throwing things at a wall um there and kind of seeing what sticks and feeling like you know boy this really matches up well I, i think you know um this makes a lot of sense in just, but I always kind of caution people: just because it works in the trade machine does not mean it works in real life. Um, you know, I don't know that that Gordon Hayward makes a ton of sense for the Pacers. I don't know that the guys who would come back to Boston make a ton of sense for the Celtics. I, I find it harder than a lot of other people to find trades that actually work and make sense for both sides. And I know everyone's going to say, "Well, what about Miles Turner and Victor Oladipo?" I just don't know that that makes sense for both sides, given the contracts and all the other things involved. It doesn't. And I've, I've messed around with the trade machine, just as everybody else has. And in order to make the salaries really work, sure, you could do Oladipo and Miles Turner, but that is a lot to give up for the Pacers for one year of Gordon Hayward. Sure, it, it looks promising that he would you know want to work out a deal there to stay there. But at this point, it's just too much to give up. Maybe if a third team was involved, but... Uh, Curious to see around the league what the perception is of the current trade value of Victor Oladipo right now because his name has been in the headlines more than Pacer fans would like, uh, especially when no basketball is going on and it's, it's obviously not for a good thing. It's more of that Vic's entering a contract year. Could be on the move. You know, it seems like there's been interest with Miami or, you know, you've obviously heard the Knicks, uh, you know, squeak in there from time to time. What's the perception on Oladipo coming back from a down year as he enters a contract year? Very, very mixed. Um, It's very interesting. There are a lot of teams who are taking the um, prove it to me that he's back and healthy and ready to go approach. He just didn't look great in the restart. um, So that that was really tough. I think that maybe more than any other player, the way this season played out was a little tougher on Victor Oladipo. I think just as he was getting ramped up and starting to look kind of good, the season shut down, and then he had to do that all over again uh, for the restart. And he, he didn't, he didn't. I don't want to say he looked bad, but he never looked great um, at any point. So there are teams that are definitely saying, I don't know. 
you know, I'm, I'm just not sure if this is, is this the guy? Is this the all-NBA guy that he was a couple years ago? Then, yeah, sure, you're going to take a gamble on that. There are other teams, though, that look at it and say, well, he's an expiring deal. We'll take a shot and see what happens. If he's really good, we have his bird rights. That gives us a leg up on re-signing him um, with that. And then, then there are some teams that are kind of looking at it and saying, you know, geez, you know, we would go for it, but does he want to stay here long term? You know, would he sign here after it? So when you combine the fact that he's coming back, still, you know, really in the process of getting back from that injury and proving he's the player he once was, with the fact that he's an expiring contract, that makes his trade value really hard and kind of all over the place. It's really team by team dependent. Really is. Feels similar to the Paul George situation, except Paul George was actually healthy in the situation yep. where there's just so much unknown about that contract. And once you know a player wants out, it really hurts the return value for the team that would be trading that star player. So uh, that, that's going to make it very, um, very messy. Unfortunately, it's going to kind of be a little bit of a cloud hanging over the Pacers. But um, it, they did. Make- hey, one, mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt you. One yep. thing that's going to be tough with Victor too is even if nothing happens in this, you know, super condensed off season, it feels like that's just going to be there all the way up to the trade deadline because at 21 million, this isn't one of those 30 plus or $40 million contracts where to make a trade, you end up having to, to, you know, send out half your roster to match salary or it gets really difficult in season. 21 million is, is pretty, you know, easy to move. And I just feel like this is not going to go away unless of course he signs an extension with the Pacers, which I don't expect to happen. I think he is going to play this contract out no matter where he is. 110%. I do not believe that there is really any chance of an early extension it feels like the Pacers are a bit hesitant in that in that stance, and it just also feels like this is his best chance at you know as close to a max deal as possible. So we're we're gonna have to just buckle down and, and wait this one out. I don't think that he's gonna be moved, you know, within the week of like the draft or anything like that. I do think this is probably gonna be something where after the Pacers made a hire in Nate Bjorkren and filling out that staff, I think they want to see that. Um, see how Vic, you know, has has recovered over the offseason. So that's definitely going to be interesting. But Keith, as we transition over to the NBA draft, uh, the draft it lacks that like sexy name this year, that surefire prospect like in the past of like a Zion or obviously like you know a LeBron James or an Anthony Davis, guys that only come around every once in a while. Um, I feel like we've kind of heard about more teams wanting to move back than move up. Now, I know that seems to be a little bit different about the Celtics, as we've heard. You know, they have a couple picks. They want to move up. But, Keith, what's your perception on this draft? Does it feel like there's more value maybe in the middle of the draft than there is at overspending for a top pick here? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how I'm, you know, that's how I felt for a while. That's the read I'm starting to get from teams is that if you can sit in that middle of the lottery, you can feel pretty good. You're coming away with a player that should be a rotation guy within a year or two um, at the latest for you. Whereas on the, the other side, you've got, you know, normally in a draft, you're you're hopeful that, you know, there's going to be two or three superstars at the top or, you know, at least star players, all star level guys. 
and then you're hopeful that uh, you know as you get get a little deeper and you're really filling this thing out with you know good players, starter level players, those kind of things, and then in the back half of the first round, second round, that's where your rotation and fringe guys are sitting. This year, it feels like you don't have any of those stars at the top. There there, there will be all stars that come out of this draft. Absolutely, there will be. You know we we know this. Um, but there are not going to be, there's no one I shouldn't say that you're looking at and saying, that's the guy there. There's no Anthony Davis. There's no Zion. There is no, um, you know, no, nobody like that. So you're, you're hopeful that you can get it right. And because of that, the teams that are at the top are kind of looking at and saying, all right, you know, this is why they'd rather maybe move back, pick up some additional picks and those kind of things. And then there are those teams, um, that, that are sitting in the middle, that are kind of feeling good. The challenge for those teams that want to move back is who are they moving back with? There, there's, you know, you need, you know, it takes two to tango, right? You need someone to trade up if you want to trade back. And I'm just not sure, sure that those, uh, you know, deals necessarily exist for those teams. So I don't know that we're going to see those kind of moves at the top of the draft. It's definitely going to be interesting. Like I mentioned before, your Celtics have quite a few picks. The Philadelphia 76ers have about five picks in this draft. (laughs) They're someone where it's just too many draft picks for a team trying to win now. So I kind of have my eyes on the Sixers trying to make a move. I don't know if that's moving up in the draft. It might just be packaging a few picks together trying to get another player. But I'm definitely kind of catching a maybe a 2013 type vibe where I I don't want to disrespect anyone and compare them to Anthony Bennett. But that draft did not look good, and it ended up producing Victor Oladipo and Giannis and guys that went on to be all-stars that exactly. you know you didn't feel great with on draft day. So hoping yep. maybe that's the case. My Pacers don't pick until the 54th pick. So I, I naturally, as an NBA fan, I love <laughs> the draft. But, oh, my God, I'm hoping we can trade up before then because at 54 – you're just hoping this guy ever even sees the court, you know, maybe even, you know, at one point. Sometimes yeah, that those, is, yeah. <laughs> that's turned into like the two-way range where you're mm-hmm. you're drafting a guy who will take a two-way contract and, and those kind of things. So, yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, kind of, kind of funny there as you're, you're looking at that one. I don't think you're going to, um, you know, I, it's tough, right, when you're in that position. You, you're going to stay up all night long waiting to see what happens and then, get a guy and there's probably gonna be a whole lot of people who are like who who is this guy you know and those kind of things so yeah no i I hear you that's tough but you know but but the draft is you know it always is fun and you know because of the victor oladipo uh you know situation and his contract that maybe the pacers get involved on draft day of making a trade that moves them up higher and gets them a draft uh, a pick in this draft as they you know, look to move on. I'm sorry, I'm having a hiccup attack here, real quick. Sorry, <laughs> no worries, no worries. <laughs> I'm not getting Keith. all that that upset in Verklempt about Victor Oladipo. I promise. <laughs> hey, I wouldn't blame you if you are. It's going to be a sad day uh, when they finally decide what to do there, because I think they're probably leaning on maybe not having him in a Pacer jersey two seasons from now. But right now, what do you think the perception is in terms of who has more value at this point, Miles Turner? Or Victor Oladipo. You know, Miles is signed for the next few years at right around seventeen and a half million. He's he's a big that you know is really good from three point land. Great rim protector. Um, someone who I feel like has not been utilized to the max of his potential on the Pacers. Um, and there's no injury concerns right now. So do you think that kind of leans in maybe 
Miles Turner's favor in terms of being more appealing to other teams as the Pacers still try and figure out if the Sabonis and Turner pairing can work? Or is it just Victor Oladipo's a two-time All-Star? Hey, the perception around the league is if and when healthy. You know, this this guy is, you know, at one point an All-NBA player. Yeah, no, my sense, and it is close, is that it's Miles Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's because of those health issues. Um, he is signed long-term to a perfectly acceptable contract at $18 million flat per season for the next three seasons so that is really really important and i think that is um you know where where they're they're you know kind of moving this thing forward i think the the kind of interesting thing to know with turner is he definitely has um his fans around the league and there are more of them than there are there are not because they believe he's kind of the ideal big that you want he's athletic he like you said he can block shots he can shoot with range and there are people who feel like he's got more of a um uh, role man um, finishing ability as a diver to the rim than he's shown because he's just never kind of played with those players in, in his career just yet that can find him on those, which which is, you know, if you look at it, it's kind of true. He hasn't played with your kind of traditional pick and roll point guard who's looking to set him up or, or a playmaker like that. But then you also have people around the league who think he's soft. He doesn't rebound. He blocks shots, but he's not somebody, but he's somebody you can go at straight, you know, straight away defensively, he's more of a help kind of guy. So, so, so you have a few teams that are out, but more teams like him than not. So I think because of that, because of the contract, because of the health, because of the age, because what what is he's only 24 Mm -hmm. um, years old. So, you know, there are a lot of people who really like Miles Turner. And I think you're going to see, you know, if it comes, if there was to be like a, you know, all right, pick one, I think more teams would take Turner right now than Oladipo. If you took, kind of positional fit and all those things out of the equation yeah i definitely think that that's going to be a very appealing factor for that and you know i think you hit it right on the head where turner has his his big supporters and then he has the people that you know are really waiting for him to take that next step but basically i think in nate mcmillan's offense of the past it didn't feature him in the way that he probably should have been featured so it is really hard to take that next step when you're looked at as you know at times mostly about a fourth option um on the court um, but well, asking- one thing I want to say with Turner too, is I had a team tell me, um, just this past week, you know, that they wouldn't be in a rush, they, not the Pacers, but another team, they wouldn't be in a rush to break, break that up. They feel like him and Sabonis can work fine together. Um, they, they don't see any reason why, you know, you need to break that up. And they, the, the comment that was made to me was do you get, we get so worried about who's going to close games that we forget about the other 40 minutes or 45 minutes of a game, you know, where, you know, you're, you're going to get, you know, quality big man play with those two and that they function well together. Cause, cause they, what one does good. The other one kind of doesn't do as great. Well, one, you know, struggles with the other one makes up for it. And they feel like that is, um, you know, you can position those two guys together. Well, so that's something that I found interesting is that, you know, the feeling was they, they, that they hope from this one team was that if they were running the Pacers, there would be no reason to you know, rush into breaking those two up. It's definitely going to be exciting to see this year. I mean, they're, they're plus minus on the court together. Sabonis and Turner did improve this past year. Obviously, Sabonis was a bit more featured. Uh, you know, was able to make the all-star team. And a lot of people feel like, well, on nights where Sabonis wasn't available, I mean, we saw a lot, a lot more of Turner or the Turner that, you know, maybe he could have blossomed into if Sabonis had not been there. But at the same point, I still want to see if it's going to work. 
Uh, Nate Bjorkman was saying that he might stagger their playing time a little bit to the point where they could be you know, a little bit more featured in lineups uh, with, without each other. So that's going to be something interesting to see, similar to what they did in Toronto, where we had like Marcus Sol and Serge Ibaka and other, other bigs like that. So uh, I'm excited to see that. But as we wrap up, Keith, I feel like the league has gotten so competitive um, from where it was a couple of years ago, where it felt like the Warriors were dominating to the point where some teams were almost throwing in the towel before the season started. How encouraging is it to see teams like the Atlanta Hawks and the Suns and the Timberwolves trying to say, hey, we're going to do whatever we can to compete because the odds are stacked against those teams, but at times where you know there's rumors the Suns are going to trade for Chris Paul, the Hawks are rumored to be in on the Drew Holiday uh, trade market. Uh, the Timberwolves, they're getting the number one pick after bringing in D'Angelo Russell. So it, it just feels like the league is in such a great standing right now, even as the Warriors come back and are expected to contend. Would you say that it feels more like there's a lot of pretty good teams compared to a couple years ago where it felt more watered down Cavs versus Warriors every year? Yeah, it is absolutely better right now than it was a couple years ago. Unless you really you know love the you know kind of the dynasty approach, which I get that too. But and clearly, if you're a Warriors or Cavs fan, you probably think it was better a few years ago. But um, I, I think what's really fun is as you look around, especially if you take a look at the uh, Western Conference in particular, outside of maybe the Timberwolves, and we'll see what they do. There's not a team that you can point to and definitely say, yeah, that team's bad. Oklahoma City will probably turn that direction if they move on from Chris Paul and Danilo Gallinari and are clearly headed into a, um, a rebuild situation. But but we don't know that just yet. But, but that's the expectation. So maybe two out of 15 teams aren't actively you know right there trying to make the playoffs. And I think the Wolves is more of a circumstance thing than it is a you know desire with them and then in the east you've got you know eight ten twelve teams maybe that think all right if things break right for us we can be right there and then as you look towards true title contenders i know the lakers are coming off this championship but they and i don't want to take anything away from them but they didn't have to go through the clippers because the clippers you know really collapsed and fell apart in that loss to the nuggets but they've got a tough road they've got the clippers you've got the warriors who are going to be back Nuggets are still good. Jazz are pretty good. Um, I'm going to leave somebody out and make a bunch of people mad. Um, but, you know, there, there are a lot of really good teams in the West. And then the East, you still get the Celtics, the Heat, the Bucks. The Nets are expected to be much better. So, yeah, the league is in a great position. There's a ton of young talent, too, which is really exciting um, on all of these teams. Guys that are, you know, really kind of taking that step forward. But the cool part is the veteran guys, the LeBron James, the guys who have really been around forever, they are not ready to step out just yet. So that means I think the league is as flush with talent as it has ever been. And more so that talent is spread out than it was, you know, maybe four or five years ago, um, which really, you know, should have a lot of people really, really excited for this upcoming season. Of course, it would be a lie if anyone said the Suns did not impress them in the bubble last year going 8-0, and it just still feels like you're still trying to find a spot to squeeze them in the playoffs in the West, (laughs) and and it's tough. I mean, the Timberwolves, you're thinking right now, you know, you had Russell in the number one pick here. Uh, I mean, they should be much better than you're talking about when you mentioned the Nets. I mean, Kevin Durant didn't even play last year. 
So it's like they're expected to be strong in the East. And then also you got teams that were towards the bottom, like the Wizards are getting John Wall back for the first time in two years. It'll be two two calendar yep. years since Wall last played. And then the Hawks, you, you expect them to take a step forward. And then even bottom feeders on the East, it's it's almost like how bad can can the Knicks continuously be this bad? You got to think they improve by maybe a couple of wins. It just feels like the NBA is in such a good spot, and, and, and I still do not expect the Knicks to even be sniffing a playoff <laughs> spot. I want to get yeah, that I'm out there, sure. but no. But it, I, it just feels like even the worst teams in the league, it feels like they're going to be getting a little bit better. So. I think it's going to be such a fun season, and yes, it is a quick turnaround, but for us you know, NBA junkies, we don't care. We want basketball back, and for that, I'm very excited. So uh, a week away until the NBA draft and free agency just slightly after that. So Keith, as we wrap up, please tell everybody where they can find you on uh, Twitter. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at KeithSmithNBA. This is, uh, I tweet a lot always, but I'll be tweeting a lot over the next, uh, let's call it month as uh, everything plays out with the draft, free agency and training camps opening. Hey, Keith, we're looking forward to it as always. Thanks a lot for coming on and I wish you the very best. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody, that does it for today's show. Um, Fachi, any final thoughts? Hey, I'm just very excited for this draft because you never know. The Pacers, they they got some future second-round picks to dangle. Maybe they move up at this point. My inner fan is just saying, just do something. You know, make a little bit of a move. Give me, give me someone new to be able to get excited about. Yeah, I mean, I think there is going to be some kind of move. I don't know what it is. I just feel it in my gut that the Pacers are going to make some move. And it might even be a move backwards, which is a little bit scary, but – if you look at these salary cap numbers, it is a very bit worrisome of what the Pacers have flexibility-wise. And if they're willing to pay the luxury tax and a pandemic and the Simon Malls aren't doing too hot. So I'm a little bit skeptical of what they're going to do, but they could make a move. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. They might trade somebody to get more picks, which would be weird. But anyway, that's all I have to say. But follow us on Twitter, setting the pace three. I'm at Alex Golden MBA. Fachi is at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And we both have Instagram accounts with the same handle. So if you guys want to follow us on Instagram, see pictures of our dogs and food that we're eating and, you know, random stories, check us out there. But other than that, I got nothing to say. But peace out, Pacer Nation. Let's go Pacers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.